It's a WrestleMania special on the Daily Wrestling News Show, powered by the Eastern Observer. Before we begin the proper show, I do want to say something about the subject matter today. We are talking about WrestleMania 20, and so there is a sort of an elephant in the room that we need to need to talk about. So I'm going to talk about a dichotomy, contrast between two things that are opposed or entirely different. WrestleMania 20 was, as Wade Keller put it, a tale of two wrestlers, a departing Brock Lesnar and a newly crowned hero, Chris Benoit. Wade Keller would write that fans initially saw him, meaning Lesnar, as a big monster getting a push before his time. As months rolled on, though, Lesnar began improving rapidly. In the time leading up to WrestleMania, Lesnar managed to become respected. When the news got out that Lesnar suddenly planned to quit wrestling, fans vocally rejected Lesnar's decision to leave, just as, they, just as they had begun to fully accept and embrace him as a top star. The Madison Square Garden audience was unforgiving, to say the least. Chris Benoit was known for being a passionate worker, someone who didn't fit the mold as a WWE top talent, but someone who traveled the world to find work when the USC U.S. scene didn't have anything for him. Keller wrote, Benoit hung around WWE and slowly gained the respect of fans across the country who had been conditioned to appreciate charisma, size, and brashness. Benoit was none of those, yet fans saw that he was the real deal. It was the dichotomy of Lesnar and Benoit that made Benoit's crowning such a powerful moment. Lesnar was a natural hero that turned his back on us, well, Benoit spent years earning our respect, honing his craft, and scratching and clawing his way into our hearts and minds. By the time Mania 20 rolled around, we were in Benoit's corner because he wouldn't leave us. He was one of us. And if the story of Chris Benoit's life ended the night of WrestleMania 20, he would have died a hero. As we know, that's not what happened. Three years later, Benoit murdered his wife and son before killing himself. As documented in the Vice Dark Side of the Ring series, his friends and family don't really understand what caused Benoit to take these actions. Those friends, like Chris Jericho, Chavo Guerrero, Guerrero, and others don't remember Chris as a murderer, and we would all love to know what caused the mental shift within Chris Benoit that led to those actions, but we don't know, and we will never know. So while we look back at WrestleMania 20 today and celebrate the real-life story of a dream achieved, I must first return back to that word dichotomy. The happiness and joy of WrestleMania 20 presents a rigid dichotomy with the overall memory of the man, Chris Benoit. The story of Chris Benoit's wrestling career is heroic, but in the end, the man, Chris Benoit, unfortunately, is not. Okay now, from the beginning. Okay, with that cold open behind us, this is a special edition of the Daily Wrestling News Show for uh, when we can't make it for a live show. My name is Ryan Joy, and I am coming to you from Minutes to Bellheim Studios on the beautiful Treasure Coast of the Sunshine State, and I am joined by the man who chose WrestleMania 20 as his favorite WrestleMania, John DeCani. John, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Very good. So had to get that bit of uh, business taken care of because 
you can't really talk about Chris Benoit and ignore the stuff that, of his past um, or his future in the case of like when this was taped place. But like, but this WrestleMania 20 was really special and it was a hero was born really. I mean, and, that, and that's what the story is. So, so you have to look at that dichotomy. Um, but I think at this point we can, and I know you feel this way too, we can kind of put that aside for this, you know, however long we we talk about WrestleMania 20 and focus on the event. Absolutely. Uh, very well done in the open. Uh, yeah, it, was, it needed to be said. And uh, just, you know, for those watching, just understand we're coming at this with the joy and feelings we had waking up Monday, March 15th, 2004, having just consumed this uh, pay-per-view. So absolutely, that's, that's how we're coming at it. Absolutely. Um, so we have our agenda for the day. It is we are going to start with our WrestleMania question because um, we have to, and then we do trivia early because it's a WrestleMania episode. Uh, we can't wait till the end of the show. Uh, our trivia is based on WrestleMania 20. We will do our full match by match breakdown of the event, and at the end, we will decide if we think it holds up. So, John, if you're ready, I'm going to ring that bell. There. All right, today's question, why is WrestleMania 20 important to you? Uh, for the very reason that uh, well, that you partially broke down in the open, that, you know, as a WWE guy, WWF guy my whole life, it was the land of giants. You know, it was, it was always the big guy, it was the monster. And to see these two completely counterintuitive uh, choices as the two main champions embracing at the end of that show is just something that is burned in my brain. And, uh, you know, uh, honest, as I was reliving it uh, in the past week, when I rewatched it, you know, someone was cutting onions in the room again. So, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Just like the first time. Yeah. Um, of course you're referring to, to Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, who, who didn't win the world championship at WrestleMania? He defended it. He would have won, he would have defeated Brock Lesnar um, a month or two earlier, um, but they did stand tall at the end of the night. And it was interesting because these are two guys that um, Kevin Nash would have referred to years earlier as vanilla midgets. So um, exactly, these are guys that didn't fit the mold. Um, you know, they're that classic Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels type of guy, even smaller, you know, and, and uh, it, it, it is, it is exciting for that reason. Um, a, a story for me on this one is that WrestleMania 20 had the tagline where it all begins again. And so when this, this WrestleMania was in 2004 or 2000, 2000, when was this? Let me check my 2004. 2004. So that's right. I got married in 2010 um, to my wife who I met at my college um, and we got married at my college. So it was funny on my save the dates at all set where it all begins again. <laughs> so I stole your tagline WWE for my actual wedding. So very nice. <laughs> True wrestling fan. Yes, absolutely. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't tell anybody that if they knew, they knew, and most didn't know. So they thought it was very clever. <laughs> All right. 
So uh, with that behind us, let's do trivia. And let me play the, the trivia bumper, and, and uh, this should be fun. Okay, first and foremost, let's see if we can get this uh, this one. Who sang America the Beautiful? That would be the uh, Harlem Boys Choir. That's right, Boys Choir of Harlem. Boy, the Boys Choir of Harlem. Of course, I should explain the rules with trivia. You're going to get five questions, and a simple majority correct will get you the W. And if you win, you get the Goldberg Oscar Award. Uh, and if you lose, you get a Hawkins. You are one for one. So let's go and see how you do with number two. Harley Race was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame the night before WrestleMania 20. He said there's not a better spot on earth than A, the squared circle, B, an arena full of wrestling fans, C, Madison Square Garden, or D, under those bright lights. Under those bright lights. It was under those bright, light, bright lights. Two for two. Victoria surprised Molly Holly late in the show with a roll-up pin in four minutes and 52 seconds. What kind of roll-up was it? Was it A, an inside cradle, B, an O'Connor roll, C, a backslide, or D, a Mahi Strahl cradle? Uh, Molly had attempted her widow's peak, and Victoria countered with a backslide. That's right, a backslide. Three for three, crushing it. Okay, I really popped big in this, uh, in this particular moment, so let's see how you do. What did The Rock call the Hurricane and Rosie? Was it... A, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. B, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. C, Hamburglar and Gris Grimace. Or D, Bastion, Bo Bastion Booger and Lucha Dork. Oh, God. I remember the backstage. Well, I'm going to say Hamburger and Grimace. It was Hamburglar and Grimace. Although I thought Big Bird and Snuffleupagus was pretty great. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then John Cena, whose shirt I am actually sporting today, um, said in his pre-match promo uh, that he wasn't wrestling the big show. It's all a charade. He's wrestling this animal from the Macy's Parade. Was it A, a hippo, B, an elephant, C, a rhinoceros, or D, a cow? Uh, a hippo? It was a hippo. Excellent. You have five for five. So uh, given the fact that he's on this card, we'll play you... The Goldberg Award, followed by... Perfect. 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 All right. Sweet sounds. Absolutely. Well, with those proceedings out of the way, WrestleMania 20, as discussed, March 14th, 2004, from Madison Square Garden in New York City, uh, for WWE, 20 marked a milestone. The company returned to MSG, the same arena that hosted the first WrestleMania. In the 20 years, WWE grew into a monolithic company that essentially gobbled up all the significant domestic competition. The company came so far, but they re returned to the birthplace of Vince McMahon's vision, and here they were determined to, as the tagline said, begin again. So, um, According to The Torch, WWE drew 20,000 paying fans for WrestleMania 20, but ticket prices were so jacked up that they drew 2.4 million in ticket revenue. That was doubling the previous Madison Square Garden record of 1.25 for Survivor Series in 2002. So they drew a crowd that was willing to pay a lot of money to see this show. So as documented, um, that heroic rise was really important to wrestling fans. 
you look at this card and you know before anyone steps foot in the ring this was a show worth paying for uh-huh 100 percent. you've got the rock you've got john cena you've got chris jericho brock lesnar bill goldberg eddie guerrero kurt angle triple h Shawn michaels the undertaker um batista <laughs> randy orton returning um, hometown boy mick foley <laughs> mick foley yeah um this was this was a high time for wrestling so um howard finkel split the announcing duties with tony chimmel it's always fun to hear howard's voice um such a booming presence uh you know i, I think probably talked about this on the first for the first 20 20 wrestlemanias however many he did but whenever you hear howard's voice it's just like takes you right back to, to the early days absolutely yeah his voice is wrestling you know it's <laughs> You, you, he could say, you know, good morning, sir. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking around going, okay, well, you know, who's on a card? Because that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's fake, baby. That is wrestling. Yes. And still, greatest sandwich in the show. <laughs> <So whatever. laughs> yeah. um, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler doing commentary out for the Raw action. Michael Cole and Taz were responsible for SmackDown. So all four of them still active today in the commentary space. Uh, Jerry, a little bit less so, but definitely Ross, Cole, and Taz are still very active. <laughs> As noted, Boys Choir of Harlem opened the show with their rendition of America the Beautiful. Uh, we had a retro WrestleMania retrospective uh, video that played culminating with Vince McMahon holding his newly born grandson as the voiceover said, where it all begins again. And I suppose it's relevant to say that that baby's now like 17 or 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's the the amount of time that has gone by since we almost could be doing, uh, you know, WrestleMania one, WrestleMania 20. If you know, a couple of years from now we'll be doing 40. So it's like we've almost, you know, elapsed the same period of time that they were celebrating. So crazy. So uh, um, as noted, John Cena was on the card. He was in the opener. Um, and he, he wrestled the big show and he, before that match started, he, he used those lines that I popped for that I put in the trivia question. I'm not even wrestling the big show. It's all a charade. I'm wrestling the hippo float from the Macy's parade. <laughs> uh, you know, classic, uh, thugonomics, John Cena at its best. He would get a victory here over the big show, uh, in nine minutes, 13 seconds, the new United States champion. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, you know, I, I love when watching these old things, when I went back for uh, Survivor Series, when he did, we did our special for the EWP and the Rumble, and uh, when you and I did another one of these WrestleManias that I don't know what order you're going to show them in, but people will see this week. I love making little notations at the end of my notes, even if I never get around to talk about them, of things that would never fly today in WWE. And uh, yeah, that, that opening rap where uh, he refers to... Uh, big show and you know smuggling plums the kind of stuff that just would yeah. not make it on a, a broadcast today no much more it's funny isn't it that they went from like cartoons in the 80s to like all the way the other way in the 90s um to really harsh harsh um, language and stuff and then in 2000 2000 2004 they started tempering back tempering back tempering back and now it's very g-rated you know it's something you can you can watch it, except for that Ray Mysterio and Seth Rollins angle last year. It was all very, very easy. 
And even um, Cena, you know, Cena had to uh, hit his finisher twice to put away the Big Show. And even his finisher has undergone, uh, you know, a, a, a G rating swipe. You know, it used to be called the FU because it was a reaction to Brock's F5. And now it's the attitude adjustment. I didn't even think about that, but you're you're totally right. <laughs> this, does he still does the is the STFU still called that? <laughs> if he uses I that? think they just don't refer to it. I'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> when he does it. Oh, well, he locks in a submission. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> so yes, Cena did use uh, the FU twice, uh, and he also used a chain. So he you know can protect the big show. Uh, Wade Keller said. Not a match anyone needs to watch a second time to catch all the action, but it worked. One and a quarter stars from him. So <laughs> it's okay. We had fun. If nothing else, the uh, the the rap at the beginning was uh, something that today's acclaimed could could listen to and for some inspiration. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what you know. I, I am not a rap fan by any sense uh, of the imagination, but Cena always delivered. Uh, you know. Good form and good humor, you know, in all his uh, his rap, his flows, if you will. Well, it was cheesy too, right? And I think yeah. that was the point, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just cheesy enough. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the coach would meet with Eric Bischoff afterwards. Who uh, the coach told him to go find the Undertaker because nobody had seen the Undertaker. Uh, he never does find the Undertaker, but he does eventually run into Bobby Heenan and, uh, you know and mean gene later on in the evening of course they both have lipstick all over and uh, you know they're, they're looking at each other oh, it's not what you think it's not it's, it's wasn't the two of us you know and then mula and may young come out they grab gene and bobby and they pull them back into the room gene and bobby you would have thought they were being carried away by murderers <laughs> like they were like a, a you know a tiger or something had them by the legs like they did not want to go back for more. I guess uh, Mula and May given him them any, everything they could handle. So that was just a fantastic, exactly what it needed, uh, what it was supposed to be—a fantastic comedic performance. And once again, Heenan, who had already started to have some health issues, so his speech was a little bit affected. It just you know, leave me alone. You know, as he's being pulled back in, just uh, that man was just so silver-tongued. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he said, I haven't been well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rest in peace, Bobby. Randy. Um, Randy Orton said that Evolution had passed Mick Foley by in a promo that, that followed. Um, anything else about that promo that you want to talk about? I I have minor notes like that, but. Yeah, made. just that he, he uh, I believe, had returned to the very staircase where he had uh, de uh, deemed himself the new hardcore legend by uh, tossing Foley down the stairs and uh, beating him years earlier. It's funny. In um, we're now in 2021, 17 years later, and Randy Orton is still getting paid on that legend killer gimmick. You know, so I guess that hey, when you find when you find something that works, <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, so next up we had a World Tag Team Championship match. Booker T and RVD uh, defending against La Resistance, a, a team we probably will never talk about again. The Dudleys, <laughs> another team we'll probably never talk about again, Garrison Cade and Mark Jindrak. Um, Booker T hit the scissor kick uh, on Rob Conway. That's one of La Resistance. RVD followed up with a frog splash for the win, 7 minutes, 55 seconds. 
Uh, Keller gave the match one and three quarter stars. But what I think is interesting is when we were talking earlier, we're like, this is a stacked card. <laughs> we didn't even mention Booker T and RVD and the Dudleys. Like, yeah, yeah it's a stacked card. Absolutely. There was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, that was a fatal four way. The other tag match was a fatal four way. There was the 10 man cruiserweight open. There was, they put a lot of people on this card. And when you look, you know, uh, I, I was, Mentally preparing for you to ask again about how many Hall of Famers. Oh, <laughs> when you see how many Hall of Famers were on the card, how many Hall of Famers just either appeared because they were part of that year's induction or they were just seen backstage, and then how many no doubt future Hall of Fame. I'm just, it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it's, it's not everybody on the card, but. It's pretty close. I mean, percentage-wise, it's probably yeah, upper by percentage. Seven. Yeah. Um. Uh, the next match was Christian and Chris Jericho. Now, this one had like a really interesting backstory where Christian and Chris Jericho made a bet about who could get with Lita and Trish Stratus uh, quicker, I guess. And talk about angles that probably wouldn't happen today, yeah. um, unless it was unless it was like high comedy, right? Like. Like a serious, like you know, the most beautiful girl with and some. Well, you know what, Otis, Otis and Mandy Rose. Maybe I stand corrected. There was there was some closeness to that with the whole Dolph Ziggler thing, but still. Anyway, this match would proceed. Of course, uh, in the closing moments of the match, Jericho would attempt to check on Trish, who had done a run in, so to speak. She appeared to inadvertently elbow Jericho. Christian rolled up Jericho for the win. But John, um, it didn't really end there. The story, the storyline would continue. Yeah. Afterwards, uh, Jericho would uh, be barking at Christian, and Trish seemed to kind of be like, "Okay, it, it's done. It's over." Kind of pulling him back, pulling him back, and uh, eventually, kind of spun him around. They got face to face, and she slapped the taste out of his mouth, and ended up walking off with Christian who got himself a, a, a nice kiss at the top of the ramp as they kind of bid adieu to Y2J, completely confused in the ring. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Christian and Chris Jericho in a match on this card, you know, it's some, something we could maybe look forward to down the road because Christian made his return at Royal Rumble. You know, Jericho's still very active. Um, Keller said it was a solid, fundamental match with good emotional intensity and a nice post-match twist, which I think we just laid out there so he gave it three stars you think that's right john about three stars good yeah, yeah, I mean, average. yeah it, it was it was no barn burner but it was uh absolutely a sound and entertaining match yeah yeah no no issues with me from that i think the story the storyline it has been so long it's been almost 20 years since this wrestlemania so when i go back and i now you need to understand the value of those video packages because when you go back and watch this stuff years later um you don't have to go watch you know raw for the preceding 12 weeks to understand what's going on these video packages catch you right yeah. up otherwise i would have completely forgotten this storyline oh, yeah. <laughs> 100 yeah. um so then lillian garcia did her interview with first mick foley but before mick foley could say very much the rock came by to to take things over um it, <laughs> lillian kind of was taking a little glance at rock and rock's like don't be looking at the people's package <laughs> You know, all these these hysterical things. He has such good like control of you know the audience. 
Hamburglar and Grimace. Good is just good stuff. Some of his, I mean, everything he he was so untouchable on the mic back then. But some of his greatest moments in my mind are the ones that I remember the most are his interactions with Lillian. Yes. He he had so much fun with her. And yeah. she would play along just enough, not to be disrespectful to the fact that I think she was married, but you know, she she played along just perfectly. Those two, whenever those two were on screen together, you knew you were gonna get a good chuckle. Right. A little little joke about strudel or I guess the people's package. <laughs> um and then, you know, of course, it ends with if you smell what the rock and sock are cooking. <laughs> so fun stuff. Then we had the their match, right? So now we have Evolution versus the rock and sock connection. Uh, it went 17 minutes, nine, so- nine seconds. Looked like things were going to turn out okay for, for Mick and the rock. Rock was, or Mick Foley was prepared for uh, Socko, but Randy hit that RKO out of nowhere, got the pin. Uh, Keller says it wasn't remarkably better than expectations, but it met them all things considered. Uh, it had some nice spotlight moments, three and a quarter stars. So yeah, not bad. Yeah. yeah. Maybe my favorite moment of the match was Ric Flair trying to copy the people's elbow, but, uh, <laughs> adding, adding the Ric Flair strut to it. And then when rock turned it around, he incorporated the strut into dropping the elbow on Ric Flair. Perfect. <laughs> you know, right? These guys, great stuff. Um, we move into the Hall of Fame class. We have Harley Race, Superstar Billy Graham, Don Morocco, Greg Valentine, Sergeant Slaughter, Pete Rose, Tito Santana, Bobby the Brain Heaven, Big John Stud, the Junkyard Dog, and Jesse the Body Ventura, who wouldn't be done for the night. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But, but pretty good class, really. Yeah, well, that was the. I think that was the... F- I think that was the first big party induction, and that was the first class since I want to say '96. Like you know, they did '93, four, five, six, and then they took a big break, and this was kind of the the big celebration. So yeah, I mean, my God, what a stellar class! I mean, just Absolutely. just all no doubt first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah, and I think at this at this point, and uh, they could probably use another six year break or so to. You know, and because I, I do feel like they're getting a little bit watered down these days, but, um, but you know, good stuff. All of these were clearly, like you said, first ballot. Billy Graham is the guy who, who defeated Bruno San Martino for the, the championship. Uh, Don Morocco, of course, he had that match with Superfly Jimmy Snuka that everybody refers to and remembers. Sergeant Slaughter is, I mean, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer in the WWE. F.E., whatever, Bobby Heenan, um, and Jesse Ventura, you know. So clearly, clearly, you know, every person on that list, no argument needed, right? So now in in a uh, situation where maybe uh, we talked about dichotomy at the head of the the show and, like, go from Hall of Fame to the Playboy evening gown match, Now, there is a dichotomy. <laughs> um, you know, the, we Sable and Tori Wilson versus Miss Jackie and Stacey Keebler. You can tell a lot about the era that we're dealing with when these women come to the ring. And Sable, you know, is like, ah, oh, man, this dress is so restricting. I think I should take it off. And so three out of four are willing to do that. And then Miss Jackie has to get hers ripped off. But that's all, in, you know, in good fun. 
lots of uh, roll-ups and even uh, referee Jack Doan, he got rolled over. Uh, he was all smiles when he stood back up, by the way. Taz and Michael Cole were <laughs> – it was surprising that Taz and Michael Cole had this match and not Jerry, but um, they did the match justice from in terms of like what Jerry would do. They put all these women over for their, their looks or whatever. But uh, Wade Keller would say – it was a healthy dose of TNA without being embarrassing in terms of the wrestling. Tori and Sable gave each other a little peck as they walked to the backstage. It was a half a star rating. Uh, <laughs> Sable and Tori won. They beat Miss Jackie and Stacey Keebler. Tori used the O'Connor roll uh, because there's great camera angles for what they were they were shooting for uh, on Jackie for the win. So yeah, I can't believe I had that much to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> You did leave one part out since we were just talking about the Hall of Fame. There was a Hall of Famer involved in that match. Oh, Tori Wilson. That's right. That's <laughs> I right. had to go back and remind myself as I was looking for Hall of Famers, and I went, oh, my God, that's right. She just got in. <laughs> it's kind of surprising that Sable's not on that list. Now, of course, I, I know they had, they've had issues in the past, but um, I would think with the you know, she's married to Brock Lesnar, and you would think that that situation would have probably resolved itself by now. But at the same time, given what I know about Brock and his privacy, it might be one of those situations where I just want to be left alone. So who knows? Well could be. Who knows? Then we get our first glimpse of our heroes, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, talking in the back about, you know, different things. Chris is, Chris is so focused, and Eddie is trying to, you know, you get into his head a little bit and, and help him out really just trying to pump him up. So, um, but it was a good feel good moment there in the middle of the show. And then we have that cruiserweight gauntlet match that you talked about. And here we go again. We've got Ray Mysterio, somebody else we didn't mention at the top, clearly a first ballot hall of famer. Um, also uh, among the crew, Jamie Noble, who's a backstage agent. You've got, Billy Kidman, who is a backstage aide today, uh, Tajiri, who is very well known, uh, Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon is like the belt collector of belt collectors. That was his gimmick when he came into WCW. So, um, so it was it was a they called it a cruiserweight open, I think, with ten guys. But it was a, it was a gauntlet match. But interestingly, all the all the participants just stood around the ring. We didn't know what order they were going to come in, but. As one person got eliminated, the next one jumped in. So the way it went was Dragon defeated Shannon Moore, then Jamie Noble defeated Dragon, Funaki, and Nunzio, uh, and then Kidman defeated uh, Noble, and then Rey Mysterio defeated Kidman and Tajiri, and Tajiri sprayed Green Mist into Akio, so then Akio couldn't participate. So Chavo Guerrero got in the ring and used a little help from his dad to beat Rey Mysterio and retain the championship. So Chavo Classic and Chavo Guerrero Jr. holding their hands up at the end. Very, very, very well broken down, sir. Yep. Um, let's see. I don't have uh, I don't have any star ratings for that. So the next match is really is a uh, uh, I talked about Brock Lesnar in the open, right? <laughs> like, um, so this is Bill Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. Bill Goldberg's leaving. Brock Lesnar is. Also leaving, he has a Minnesota Vikings tryout. He's going to try to get in the NFL. Um, John, to open this discussion, I want to ask you what these three phrases have in common. This match sucks. Hey, 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 goodbye. 
you sold out. <laughs> uh, all chanted by the crowd <clears throat> before these men even locked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's that's the case, but it was definitely throughout the match. I believe um, there was even a Hulk Hogan chant because there were some fans dressed as Hogan. Um, so Goldberg won the match with a jackhammer in 1348, which put you know everybody out of their misery, I guess. Austin stunned Lesnar. Austin stunned Goldberg. Uh, that's how you got Stone Cold Steve Austin over. Well, you know, getting rid of the you know, kicking out the trash, I so to speak. But these fans did not did not enjoy this match. Now, my first note, uh, other than Stone Cold being the special guest referee, is the crowd hates every minute of this match. <laughs> it's 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 incredible when you consider at, at the end. At, so this was a big match coming into Mania, and both guys are leaving. And we talked. I talked about the dichotomy in the er, in the early part, and I thought it's important to put Lesnar against. Benoit in this sense because Lesnar was somebody who the crowd was reacting to and they rejected at first and then he had to earn the respect of the crowd and he had done it um, and and people were starting to get behind him and just as they were starting to get behind him he decides to go and it's like we've invested this emotionally into you and they're like totally ticked off by it and then Goldberg just didn't re-sign a contract. So you got these two guys that are leaving. The New York crowd is unforgiving to begin with. And it was just like that snowball going down the hill. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, Keller said it was one of the most memorable WrestleMania matches ever. And the quality of the wrestling wasn't terrible by any means. But the spectacle created from behind-the-scenes stuff and the crowd reaction completely overshadowed anything in the ring he only gave it one and a half star but it's funny that like it's such a it's so bad that it's um so memorable you know this this is one of the earliest examples i can remember of the internet ruining a wrestling match Mm -hmm. because you know otherwise you know we wouldn't know that uh you know brock hadn't necessarily come out yet Uh, this was stuff that was leaked online we would find out later that uh, you know he was going to try the the NFL and with absolutely no training almost made it. That's how gifted an athlete he was, and you know like I'm sure the crowd wasn't really behind, would have been behind Goldberg to begin with, but knowing that he didn't resign and he was on his way, it was just this match had no chance. Yeah. Absolutely no chance. The best thing they did was put Austin in the middle of it and have him stun them at the end because that they sent the crowd home happy, right? Yeah, exactly. so, that, that segment ended on an up note because two men got stunned. Yes. <laughs> now, interestingly, um, at this point in the event, my DVD player said the event continues on disc two. So... I had to swap out discs for this. So it was a two DVD uh, so in a scenario here. I decided not to watch it on the WWE Network. I thought I would make use of those DVDs that just collect dust. So um, when I came back from that little break, we had the world's greatest tag team versus the APA versus the Basham Brothers versus Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Um, Rikishi did a sit, sat down on one of the Bashams, got the pin in 605. Scotty did the worm. Rikishi did the dance. Just a star from Keller. Yeah, I mean, the most memorable part of that match to me was 
being reminded of just how absolutely nasty Bradshaw's clothesline from hell was. Oh, my God. I, I thought he killed Danny Basher when he hit him with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's it is it's funny you see that move from him. It's so 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 believable. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, the clothesline has been around for years, right? I mean, it's the most basic move, um, and there are a few guys that when they do it, it you know, Stan Hansen's the probably the first. Bradshaw uh, was in that vein. Today we have guys like Kazuchika Okada who do a do a version of it where it's a um, short arm type clothesline type thing. And there are a few people that can use that basic wrestling move as their finisher. And when you delivered it like Bradshaw, um, he, that's, he's one of them. And it, it was a situation where a lot of times you see people do the clothesline and they just hold their arm up and the guy falls down. Bradshaw goes through the guy. And I think that makes all the difference. And he goes through the guy and he's swinging his arm at the same time. So I bet you he busted a few people up with that. Oh yeah, there's no way that goes over with no injury every time. <laughs> I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about Jesse Ventura again, and so here we are at that stage. And John, the last the last WrestleMania you and I talked about was WrestleMania four, and I talked about how the the promo that Hulk Hogan did about Donald Trump being a Hulkamaniac didn't age that well, and. Here we are again at WrestleMania 20. Um, Donald had some nice things to say about Vince, and he had some nice things to say uh, in general about having a good time at the show with his son. Um, what happened was Jesse the Body came down, and he was going to do an interview, and he was looking around for his guest, and he's got Donald Trump there. That's his guest. Um, so he asked him if he's having a good time, and Donald answers that. But then Jesse suggests that he, Jesse, will be running for president in 2008. And uh, he asks Donald if he would have his moral and financial support, which uh, Trump said 100%. Um, and probably the less we say about that, the better, because we don't want to aggravate or uh, we understood. It's, it's politics. <laughs> I always stay away from it. <laughs> but he was featured on the show uh, once again. And, and three years later, he would be heavily featured on the show. So, uh, Donald Trump, so interesting uh, relationship, and I guess we can see why Donald is a is a WWE Hall of Famer. So. Okay, match nine on the card is Victoria versus Molly Holly, um, and Victoria would win to retain the women's title in four fifty two. The big stipulation here is uh, if Molly loses, she not only loses the opportunity for that women's title, but she loses her hair, and she lost the match. And she lost the hair. <laughs> so we said earlier it was a bad slide to win. But. Yeah, and uh, she, she got to meet uh, this is Barbara Luigi. And uh, <laughs> he, he took more than a little off the top. That's right. Um, Kelly would say, not much time to become anything special. What there was of it was solid. These two deserve more time and to be taken more seriously, which I think that's a fine review, you know, given the time went out. Um, the thing that that I popped for during this match is completely unrelated to the match is Jer Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler are doing commentary and Jerry just like needling Jim the entire time asking about Jim's panty preferences and color preferences in that regard and you know JR said JR even said he didn't he doesn't normally wear underwear 
it was it was the weirdest thing but also to give jim credit because uh, he gets a lot of abuse for saying things that are off color he did several times say can we focus on the match i didn't prepare for an inquisition on underwear or whatever <laughs> you know he's yeah he, he wanted no part of that discussion to begin with and it got even worse than that, or maybe it even started off a little worse than that. When they were on their way down to the ring and just talking about the potential of uh, Molly having her head shaved, Lawler drops in, a, you know, Molly's a good girl. You think this is the first time she'll ever be shaved? Yeah. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and uh, so it's, and in, in my mind, I know, you know, JR clearly uncomfortable with all of this discussion. And I can just hear Vince McMahon in the headset to Jerry Lawler, keep going. Keep after him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let up now. <laughs> oh, God. Of course, I, have, I, I don't know. I've never heard Jerry say that that was the case. But, you know, that I, I can just kind of imagine that the way Jerry wouldn't let it go, maybe he had some. Well, Jerry was making up for the fact that he must have been apoplectic at being left out of the evening. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so then we have Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle. Two Hall of Famers here, and nobody could ever question that. Eddie would retain in 21 minutes, 30 seconds. A really cool finish here. Um, we and you know, we saw Guerrero like loosening his boot, and you've got uh commentary team selling it as sort of like um, you know, maybe he's maybe he injured his ankle, it's swelling up, you gotta get the boot off, you know, to kind of take care of it and stuff like that. Um, and then, then Kurt Angle take to take advantage of the situation of an injured angle ankle. You know, his finishing move is a is an ankle lock, so he applies that thing. And then Eddie slips out of the boot, rolls up Angle, and gets the win. Um, no lying, no cheating, no stealing, but it <laughs> but but it was creative. And uh, Eddie Guerrero, man, he could see there was a little bit of cheating. He, he he did hold the bottom rope with his with his injured ankle. He, he you know he kind of grapevine the rope to to hold that uh, small package in, and uh, afterwards did not limp back up the uh, up the the ramp. He shimmied back up the ramp. There you go. Maybe a just lying too. Maybe a little lying too. <laughs> All right. So you convinced me. He did lie, cheat, and steal his way through. <laughs> but you know we we haven't talked about. Uh, Eddie Guerrero much on the Daily Wrestling News show in general, so it's as good a time as any just to say, like, that's a guy whose imprint is all over wrestling today. You see that frog splash. Now, I know RVD does a frog splash, too, and, he, you know, very famously, but I think a lot of people attribute and, and, and perform the Eddie Guerrero-style frog splash, as well as that Three Amigos. Um, whenever somebody does that, like, fake thing where they they feign an injury to get somebody ejected from the match or disqualified from the match. Those things are all like Eddie Guerrero staples. I'm not sure if he's the first person who it did those things, but he was certainly the person who did them most famously. And uh, for that man, from that perspective, he he gets all the credit in the world, and he he is still an influence uh, that has carried on for years. Absolutely. Whenever, uh, whenever Sasha does the splash or the three amigos, you know that's a tribute to Eddie because she loved him so much. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ray Ray went up to to do the splash and even did the shimmy beforehand, and you know that that immediately, oh, 
you, you know, you know exactly what that's all about before the announcer puts it over. It, it's all a tribute to, uh, to Eddie and uh, absolutely deserved. You know, and, and he brought up Rey Mysterio. What I think is really interesting in terms of him is Rey Mysterio's finishing move or whatever in WWE was something called the West Coast Pop for years. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if he can even still do it. It's kind of a complicated move, I guess. Um, but um, now he does the frog splash. He does the 619 and then he climbs the top of the rope and does the frog splash. So I guess that's the ultimate tribute when you change your finishing move to something else. Um, Keller would say about this match that it was not a classic, but a very good match. It's not everyone's style due to the slow map-based build early, but it climaxed really well, and the crowd was into the near falls in the final minutes. The finish was really clever, too. He gave it four and a quarter stars, so that's pretty well, pretty good. Yeah, for, if, you, if you're going to call it not a classic and then give it more than four stars, and you know, that tells you, first of all, what we could envision or expect out of you know just these two men to begin with. Right, right. That there's room for improvement on a four and a quarter star match, so. Absolutely. Um, match 11, it's your semi-main. It is Kane versus The Undertaker. We haven't seen The Undertaker in a long time. Undertaker won this match, as he did every match against Kane at WrestleMania and everybody else, pretty much. Um, he had a tombstone, 6 minutes, 56 seconds for the pin. The big story here, though, is that in the year 2000, May of 2000, Undertaker debuted his American Badass character. And it was this this event happened nearly four years later, um, and it would take her returned as the Dead Man, and he was accompanied by Paul Bear. So, it was a return to form. You know the the ten years prior between 1990 and 2000, Undertaker was the Dead Man, and then he took that four year hiatus as you know the Biker Taker, and now he's uh, and now he's back to being the Dead Man, and that's the way he stayed every ever since. Um, but I think people popped really big for the for that dead man return. Yeah, I, I kind of I had to go back and and do a little research and kind of refresh myself on why Kane was so freaked out. I knew he had helped he, I, he had helped Vince bury the biker taker at uh, Survivor Series at the end of 03. Uh, I, 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 that's that's the part I didn't remember. I didn't remember that that was the end of the American Badass, and this was his re-debut as the Dead Man. And you know, uh, started with Paul Bear. He had the classic urn. We got druids almost setting their robes on fire, and uh, <laughs> we get full on. You know, like that that night, it must have been so amazing at the Garden. Classic Dead Man Undertaker coming back. You know, wow. So I've heard uh, Bruce Pritchard talk about this and that it took um, convincing Taker to do this because Taker was thinking, oh, man, it's a step back. My character has evolved. It won't work. People, you know, people will see it as a step back. Nobody said nobody sees it that way. It's very <laughs> interesting. And I don't think anybody has a real problem with the whole, uh, you know, American badass biker Taker version. It's just that this particular dead man character is so endearing and enduring both. And so when he came back, it was, it was a huge thing. And then, you know, he was, he was used more sparingly afterwards. And, um, 
I mean, he was full time for a long time after this, but then, you know, as things went on and he became, you know, used more sparingly, this was the right character for that. So it, I, I think it improved his longevity. The other note I have about this match is that Kane's facials were incredible, which is something to say because here's a guy whose first enti- whole entire first run was under a mask. That mask came off, and this guy's facials were amazing. You know, the, like you you already mentioned, why is Kane so freaked out? Like that really came came through in this uh, in this match. So Taker didn't have to show any emotions, which is actually kind of hard to do. Kane had Kane shows a lot. So go back to that word in the beginning, dichotomy. You know, it's it's incredible to see these two brothers, so to speak, you know, facing off against each other, and they have completely different personalities. Yeah, and what you, like you said, the Kane's performance is what made me go back and remind myself, oh yeah, that's why this moment is so important. And it was all based on the, you know, like it was okay. As I was looking at the rundown and the, the music was playing, I'm like, okay, Kane and Undertaker, you don't have to sell anybody on Kane and Undertaker at WrestleMania, but it was Kane's performance that made me go back and realize just why this match was so special. Okay. Absolutely. And now we get to the main event. And we set up the main event from the very beginning of the show. This was a heroic rise from a character that we all, um, you know, we're behind 110%. Chris Benoit coming in. He's winner of the Royal Rumble. He's facing Triple H. He's facing Shawn Michaels in a triple threat match. He wins the match with the Crippler cross face in 24, almost 25 minutes, 24 minutes, 7 seconds. Michaels and Hunter were a bloody mess. Um, I have here the Keller report on this match. Uh, it's only the last couple of sentences, but Benoit ducked Michael's super kick. Backdropped him over the top rope. Hunter then kicked Benoit in the belly, went for the pedigree. Benoit reversed it into the cross face at 23.15, and the fans popped huge. Hunter reached for the bottom rope but couldn't reach it. He began fading. He managed to reverse out of it, but Benoit immediately replied it. Hunter then tapped out. The crowd popped huge. The ref handed Benoit the belt. He began crying. He stood and held the belt in the air. Eddie Guerrero came out, congratulated him. They hugged. Eddie began crying too. Confetti dropped from the ceiling. They both held their titles in the air. That was a really, really good triple threat match. The finishing sequence was as dramatic as I can remember in any match. The crowd reaction helped take it to five stars, as did Benoit's emotional reaction to the win and Ross's dramatic announcing. Five stars from Keller on this match. JR almost blew out his voice screaming at the uh, the final, uh, probably the final five minutes of this match. Every time there was a near fall or a near tap, uh, one of the one of the uh, notes that I put in here, not necessarily consequential, but the absolutely superb expert blade job that HBK did on himself. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't see where it happened. Benoit went for a sharpshooter, uh, which HBK rolled back over and kind of fought his way out of. So Benoit slingshotted him into corner. And I, I had to I had to rewind it because it definitely was not obvious the first time. But as the sharpshooter rolled back over just before the slingshot, you saw HBK kind of go to his forehead. I did it in slow-mo. When the slingshot happens and HBK goes flying past the turnbuckle just so that he could slap the post and make it seem like his head hit it, 
his head is completely clean. So, you know, it obviously takes a few seconds before the blood starts flowing. When he kind of stumbles back and he's facing away from the camera, he passes the referee and opposite the hard camera, that part of the crowd all of a sudden just gives a, a groan like, whoa. And by the time he turns around, half of his face is covered. Yeah. Timing absolutely impetuous. Impetuous. Yeah, I was I was Perfect. watching that. Yeah, I, I was I was watching and I was like, how did that happen? Because like because <laughs> he was clean and then he went to the post and then he came when next time I saw him, he was a covered bloody mess. And uh it's it's funny, we talked about things that you wouldn't see today, right? You you will not see a blade job in WWE. You can see it on the other channel, you can see it in AEW, but you're not gonna see see that. You know, if you see blood in WWE, it's not intentional. Yeah. And, it, and it's almost, you know, every once in a while, someone will accidentally split themselves open. And they they start, you know, the producers start moving the cameras around, you know, almost like avoiding it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very rare that it's very rare that you'll hear the, the announcers uh, add to it by putting over the fact that they're busted open. You know, you get a little bit of blood and, okay, maybe he's got, he's got a little blood on him. They don't like to even talk about it anymore. And yep. this was both of them wound up being uh, both HBK and Triple H were absolute bloody disasters by the end of this. Yeah. And, you know, given how much airtime the Benoit victory would have had, had the events of three years later not happened, it's kind of nice that he wasn't covered in blood, right? Because for, for the sake of being able to show those images for years and years and years, you know, you know, he was, he was clean except for, you know, residual blood from, from the others. But um, yeah, very emotional ending with Eddie Guerrero coming out. And, um, but this is all about the climax, you know, Chris Benoit, who I mentioned, he, you know, he went to Japan, he went all over the world because there was no place for him uh, in the United States scene. He was too small and, and whatnot. So he literally wrestled his way for years and years, decades even at this point to make his way into our hearts and mind and to earn our respect and everything. And um, it was a, um, it was a career well-earned sort of a, I guess you would say a life well lived up to that point. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there were plenty of demons and things like that and lots of concussions along the way. We know that, but um, you know, he worked his butt off to get our respect and he got it. And this was a heroic moment. Uh, you know, a hero was born here and we don't see that all the time. And uh, so it's a great ending to the show. Yeah. And you know, at this moment in my life, considering yeah, I, I never was a Hulkamaniac. I didn't necessarily care for the warrior. I was always a guy who loved the workhorse champions, you know, starting with uh, Savage, even though I, you know, kind of caught him just as his run was taking off towards the top of the card. But that intercontinental title meant so much to me because it was always those type of guys, you know, who put on amazing matches for that title. Those were the kind of guys I followed. And in this era where this roster was just absolutely jam-packed with future Hall of Famers, that intercontinental title as it went around, uh, you know, Randy and Edge and Benoit and Eddie and Jericho and the list goes on and on and on. The, 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 but to see two of those guys at the top of the card 
WrestleMania main event, uh, a benchmark WrestleMania, the 20th anniversary, Madison Square Garden. I mean, at that moment, it just could not have been any better, in my uh, opinion. Yeah. And it was a great match. Five stars, right? Um, now, I don't know about Keller, but I know Dave Meltzer is really holds back on those five stars. And I think there's only been like 20 in the history of WWE. Maybe it's more, but it's it's very few. Um, and this so this match, extremely good in the history of wrestling. Um, figure Four Weekly would write about the event. Uh, figure Four Weekly was Brian Alvarez's newsletter. Okay. Who would have thought four years ago that at the end of the 20th anniversary of the most important wrestling event of the year, two of the criminally underutilized performers that Kevin Nash and WCW referred to as the Vanilla Midgets would be standing tall as co-WWE champions. But it happened. The show ended with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, WWE and world champion, respectively, weeping and embracing in mid-ring as streamers fell from the ceiling. They were hardly the only ones crying. Jim Ross could hardly speak as he briefly recounted the story of their parallel careers, how they wrestled each other all over the world and never gave up, despite the odds always being against them. So, John, the hard, hard, hard question at the end of WrestleMania 20 is does this WrestleMania hold up? Okay. And it's, it's really hard in this. Yeah, case. I I think I I gave more credit to WrestleMania four maybe than it deserved just because it reminded me so much of my childhood. So you know, I said yes. You kind of went went the other way. I will be stunned if we're not in agreement here that this one hundred percent holds up. And you know, once again, in my uh, opinion are to top. It is a great WrestleMania. I 100% agree that the wrestling holds up. Um, the only the only thing is, and it's what we talked about at the beginning. You have to ignore every. You have to ignore things, and unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it will never be one that WWE spends a lot of time talking about. It'll never happen. But if you if you were even if okay so if you do this and you just take the last match out, um, which is criminal to do because it was you know such a great match, top to bottom, definitely holds up. Um, and then you know put the last match back in and it's it is a classic WrestleMania. It holds up. You have to you have to be in the right mind space to say I got I have to ignore the personal lives um, and the very unfortunate things that have happened. Um, in those personal lives, but yes, the wrestling holds up. Yes, the event holds up. It's probably better than any of the WrestleManias we're going to get this year or the next two that have been announced. I would, I would have to concur. So with that said, there are some things I would like to tell people about before we get out of here. Um, and first and foremost, I want to talk about the wrestling connection. Join the godfather of professional wrestling, Tony Capone, and the voice of the people, Tony T, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Uh, they are doing the Nawa Wrestling Connection live on Blog Talk Radio. Listen to the Nawa Wrestling Connection to find out everything that is taking place in the world of the North American Wrestling Alliance and join the two Tonys as they sit down with a special guest each and every week. You can listen to the show by liking the Nawa Wrestling Connection on Facebook and by following Tony Capone, Tony T, and the Nawa on Twitter. And not only that, it's important if you are a fan of sports to 
listening to the Primetime Rundown with Joey Jarzenka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca. Each Friday night, they take you through the world of sports. The show kicks off at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And a show near and dear to John and Mai's heart is the Essential Wrestling Podcast. Every Tuesday night, Al Carl is the host. John DeCani is on the show. I am on the show along with Gary Maheffi and John Smith. They return each and every week, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And then the Daily Wrestling News Show. This show that you're watching right now is on every day, Monday through Thursday. I guess not every day, but Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. So don't forget to miss a single episode of that, or don't miss a single episode of that. (laughs) Please forget missing it, I guess. John, any like parting words as we as we wrap things up on WrestleMania 20? I think you know we talked about the show whether it holds up, and we've talked about all the good and the bad. But is there anything overall, any overall feelings or about the show that you want to uh, get out before we we send it home? I think we covered it all, and uh, I think it was a bookend by you uh, handling everything involved in it uh, very very well. Uh, to put you know to put it kind of a Warning at the top and wrap it up at the end. Uh, just a fantastic night. And uh, thank you for giving me the platform to uh, rehash it and uh, relive it. WrestleMania 20, where it all begins again. <laughs>